The Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio present Savor 2016, an American craft beer and food experience from Washington, D.C. This salon is from Saturday, June 4th. Pairings with the Red Hen and Country Boy Brewing. Presented by Jared Barker, the Red Hen, and Daniel Harrison, Country Boy Brewing. Welcome to Savor 2016. We're really excited that you are here today. My name is Katie. I work for the Brewers Association. Just a little house cleaning before we get started. Um, all of these salons are being recorded. So if you have any questions, which they've said that they're happy to take questions after each pairing when they've talked about the beer and food, um, please just raise your hand so we can get a mic to you. All of it will be available next week on craftbeer.com. So now it is my great, great pleasure to introduce two things that I love very much, Country Boy and the Red Hen. Um, I am happy to introduce Jared Barker, who is the general manager at the Red Hen, located in Bloomingdale, D.C. Um, it's an Italian-influenced American restaurant. Little fun things about him. He is a Virginia native. He loves dogs, and he loves beer. And then All also, All very true. helping us out tonight, but who will be back in the kitchen making sure everything is running seamlessly, is Crystal Kripe. She is the chef de cuisine. She's been 10 years in the industry, Washington, D.C. for three, and she comes from the, well, she graduated from the Culinary Institute of America. Next up, I'm going to talk about my friends from Country Boy in Lexington, Kentucky. First up is Daniel Sink, Sinkhorn. He is master of all things That's fermented. Right. He's been in the industry for over 12 years, and according to both of them, is 100% responsible for all of their success. <laughs> personally, <Did you> say <laughs> personally and professionally, he is known as a fantastic distiller. So his talents lie beer, wine, and liquor. Uh, really fun fact about Sink, he was a professional lumberjack before he got involved in the brewing industry. I know you're shocked by this, right? <laughs> and then last but not least, we've got Daniel D.H. Harrison. D.H. is the co-founder of Country Boy Brewing, which has been open for four years. They just recently broke ground on a new location in Georgetown, Kentucky, which is the area where he was born and raised. Uh, he got into and fell in love with craft brewing when he was spending time abroad in Japan. Um, my fun fact about D.H. is that his favorite, um, favorite Boys to Men song is End of the Road. Is there any other <laughs> So let's get started, everyone. I hope you have a great night. Thanks, Daddy. Thank you very much. So yeah, I'll kick us off. Uh, both Jared and I, not to, not to put Sink in a weird position, but we have a hard time staying you know, stationary. And so if you don't like people that talk with their hands and kind of are all over the place, you're going to hate the next hour. Uh, because we're, we're both so passionate about what we do, it's hard for us to stay contained and sit down. And not that Sink's not, we just kind of stuck him there because yeah. I only had two lavalier mics. But uh, anyway, we want to introduce ourselves. Uh, first of all, thank you guys so much for coming tonight and for choosing us uh, at this salon. It's our e extreme honor to be able to do this. Jared, thank you from the Red Hen. I know uh, if, if you're in DC or if you're close here, uh, you guys know their stuff. Uh, I've been hearing nothing but the most amazing things about all their places, even their new spot that they opened up yeah. uh, very, very recently. Uh, they, they are masters of their skills, so we're very, very glad to, to be paired with you all tonight. And again, thank, thank you, thank you. And, and then again, thank you guys for coming. Really quickly, we want to introduce a little bit about, uh, about each of our spots. We believe that our 
Each of our companies has its own unique identity. And we get more beer up here. That's awesome. Uh, we, we believe each of our places have our own unique identity and, uh, and, and character, and, and that really comes through in what we do. Uh, like Katie said, again, Katie, thank you for the great introduction. Uh, I got into beer uh, in all places when I, in my time in Japan. And we, we like to say at Country Boy, we are the embodiment of contradiction. You wouldn't see a bunch of bearded dudes up here, uh, chubby from the south, and think these guys have roots. Uh, in, in Japanese brewing, but that, that could not be farther from the truth because we absolutely do. I spent three years there teaching English in the public school system, and uh, on the weekends, I would travel around to different breweries. So if you've ever spent any time in another foreign country, you know if you're going to spend any time there, you've got to really jump in with both feet in, in, into the culture and try to find something to, to delve into. And so I had friends that were into history. I had friends that were into Japanese flower arranging. I had friends that were into Japanese cuisine. And I was like, well, what do I want to do? Uh, I'm not smart enough for Japanese history. Uh, I don't know anything about flowers, but damn, I love drinking beer. And so uh, I, I, I got really into Japanese brewing. I know more about Japanese beer than any other person, which as my dad says, that and a quarter will get you a cup of coffee. Uh, but I met a guy named Brian Baird. Long story short, he's an expat from Oxford, Ohio. Uh, married a Japanese lady, started a brewery in 2000 in Numazu, Japan. And talking to him, I just got infected by his love of craft beer. His beer was awesome. What he did was he incorporated Japanese culture, Japanese tradition, Japanese ingredients into the beer. And there's nothing more infectious than tasting a product that has the culture, that has the, the embodiment of, of, of a society in a liquid. It's hard, to, it's hard to put into words exactly. And so coming back to uh, Kentucky in 2010, I, uh, I, I partnered with, uh, with my guys. And, and one, of our, one of our partners was a little bit older than us. He kind of kicked us in the butt, had some business experience. He said, hey, let's start an LSC, let's start a business. We can make beer. Now, back then, we were too dumb to know what to be scared of to be scared of it, uh, which means that we just thought, hey, we'll, we'll make beer and we'll sell it, and we'll get some money, we'll buy some ingredients, and we'll make some more beer, and we'll sell it, and we'll take that money, and we'll just keep rolling it. Which, to be honest, there's a little bit more to the business than that, uh, <laughs> which we found very quickly. But uh, it, it's been, we opened February 10th, 2012. We made 500 barrels of beer the first year that we were open. Last year, we just did just under 10,000. As Katie said, we just broke ground on a 23,000 square foot on six acres in Georgetown, Kentucky, a 50-barrel sprinkling system. It's really going to take us to the next level. It's been a short uh, but crazy time, and uh, we think the beer is pretty damn good, and that's what's brought us here. And that's, that's our story in a nutshell. And with that, I'll turn it over to Jared. Thank you very much. Uh, glad to be here. Thank you Thanks, uh, for, for, uh, for being with us, and thank you all for, uh, for being here to listen to us ramble about beer and food. Um, so who we are at the Red Hen, uh, I know a lot of y'all live in the area. Have, have any of y'all been to the Red Hen? A few. Thank you very much. Thank you very, very much. Um, we've been there for over three years at this point. Um, it, it truly is a labor of love, and as, uh, as Daniel said, um, the infection of our culture into our product is, is strong. So we, I think that's, that's what, uh, what really uh, divides um, the people who do things good and the people who do things great is the passion. Uh, and we, we all have a lot of passion uh, in what we do. Um, so we are a, uh, an Italian-influenced uh, American restaurant. Uh, if you want to put a label on it, uh, it's a little hard. Um, we want to say Italian-influenced because we aren't serving the food that you would get in an Italian restaurant. We love the things that are done in Italy, uh, and we take cues from that. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, particularly in Italy, they, uh, they build their food to go with their drink, uh, whether it be beer or wine. Um, it is integral into the culture. It is woven in. Uh, and we, we really run, run with that with our food, with our wine, with our beer. 
Uh, we have a small beer list, but uh, we have a great beer list in that uh, it, is, it is very meticulously uh, selected uh, with purpose. Uh, we don't have seven Imperial IPAs on our menu as much as some of us love them. Uh, we might have one occasionally. Um, again, all done with purpose and all done uh, with food in mind. Um, so we, uh, we have a wood-burning grill. We burn all Virginia oak. Um, we make all our own pastas in-house. Uh, our executive chef, Michael Friedman, uh, is a, a New Jersey native uh, of Jewish-Italian uh, upbringing. Uh, and a lot of his culture uh, pours down into the food. You'll see that uh, throughout the course of the meal, uh, particularly with this first one, uh, the smoke trout crustini. Um, it is his homage to uh, white fish salad uh, at, the, at the local uh, Jewish deli. Um, so we're using uh, smoke trout out of Maine. Uh, we're doing some pickled onions on top, uh, a little bit of micro celery. The smoke trout itself is uh, whipped with mascarpone, uh, shallots, uh, a little bit of celery in there. Um, super simple, beautiful dish uh, built uh, for beer. Uh, the bread is, is cooked over our wood-fired grill. You get a little bit of the smoke in that bread. Um, you get definitely smokiness from the trout. And um, it's a beautiful, beautiful dish. The, the, and the, the one thing I, I really want to talk about is why we're here, why we're doing pairings, uh, why we even do pairings as a culture to begin with, as a food culture, beer culture, wine culture. Um, it adds value to everything uh, within when done properly. Uh, when, the, when the fear and food and the beer match or the food and the wine match, uh, you get a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. Um, that, that is the point of it for us. And for me, uh, as on a nightly basis uh, at the Red Hen, I am always happy to talk to people and, and figure out pairings, whether it be beer or liquor or wine. Because when, um, and I think I thank Daniel for this, because um, we were talking about it on the phone uh, as far as why pairings work and, and what they do. Um, we both mentioned, he mentioned the movie Ratatouille to me. I've got um, kids. I've got kids. So. I have a baby. He hasn't yeah. seen it yet, but yeah. we'll get there. Uh, and I think that there's one particular scene in there that, um, that actually is the visual interpretation of, of how I feel pairing works in that um, when the two rats are sitting around uh, eating food and then the fireworks go off overhead, they're either like duds or there are fireworks. Uh, when pairings are done right, there are fireworks. Mm -hmm. uh, there is, you bring out elements of the food that weren't necessarily there on first bite, you bring out elements of the beer that weren't necessarily there on the first sip. Uh, and they work very, very well together. Um, so that's kind of where we were coming from this, uh, coming at this from. Um, so we didn't go outside of our comfort zone as far as what we're serving tonight. Uh, these are all the things that you will find on our menu occasionally in some form or another. Uh, so we wanted to be very true to ourselves and very true to our culture and at the same time uh, find that, um, and I hate to use an, an awful corporate America word, synergy. Uh, uh, that's the last time I'll say it, and if I do say it again, you can throw something at me. Um, but it, it truly does exist when, when it's done right. Um, and it's a beautiful thing. Again, like you get elements from, from both the food and the beer um, that you would not necessarily on their own. Um, so for the first one, for the smoke trout crostini with the, uh, with the cougar bait blonde ale, uh, maybe you want to talk a little bit about the beer first? Absolutely, yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, Jared's right. You know, it, it was fun for us to be able to talk on the phone and kind of craft what we wanted this salon to be about. And, and that scene, if you've seen, have you all seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about? The, the, that one scene where he tastes, I believe it's like a strawberry and a piece of cheese that he found in the trash together or something. It's, it's a cool movie. Watch it. Uh, it's true. But, uh, and, and 
it's, just a, it's a unique and it's a great experience when that stuff comes together. And so we were talking on the phone, like, hey, what's the culture of the Red Hand? What are you guys about? Because you know, we, we were kind of going at this flying blind. We've never met each other before. And so how, how do we take what's Country Boy and what's Red Hand and how do we blend them together? And I think tonight you're going to see that these guys have done an amazing job of it. Uh, I'm going to let Sink talk about the mechanics of the beer, but what I want to get to is there's another scene in that movie, and uh, this is, this is uh, yeah, I'm a Disney fan too. Uh, th this is actually one of the, the, we were trying to get through all the pairings beforehand so we could taste them all. This is the only one we got through, and, and uh, I looked at Jared and said, oh, all right, like, don't take this the wrong way, but this is like a churched up like, tuna salad that I remember as a kid. It's, forgive me for doing that. Uh, but, you know, th this is a beautiful amalgamation of great stuff that remind that calls back and so the, what i'm getting at is the end of that movie there's the, the where the food critics like eating the ratatouille right and he takes a bite of it and like in his mind he's like riding a tricycle as a kid and he's he's going through all the things that he did when he was young because when you have that beautiful connection of of taste and of smell and of experience it calls back all that stuff and so i tasted this back there like oh my gosh man this is like tuna fish sandwich that mom made and so delicious, and, and, and that's the point, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's very true to what we do at the Red Hen on the whole, is that the food we make is comfort food. It, yeah. is, it, will, it will hopefully, at some point, bring you back to something that you've had that you remember fondly. Uh, and that is how uh, our chef, Mike Friedman, uh, and how Crystal Cripe, who is preparing food tonight, uh, looks at and creates the dishes on the menu, and that we want to make food that we like to eat, uh, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're not trying to do foams and gastriques and spherifications and that kind of thing. We just make simple, delicious food, uh, which I think is often lost. Yeah. Well, I'll let uh, Daniel Sinkhorn talk a little bit about, about the, the makings of the beer uh, and, and kind of how we do it and what it means to us and all that kind of stuff. So without further ado, thanks. and I'm going to eat this delicious. Thanks, DH, and thanks again for everybody for coming. Um, just a little bit about Cougar Bait. Uh, it's 75% of our production at Country Boy Brewing. It's a very simple beer. Um, a lot of people would refer to a beer like this as a lawnmower beer because it's, it's light in alcohol, about 5% ABV, and something that a lot of people would refer to as crushable. And here at Country Boy, we do that a lot. Um, <clears throat> the recipe is very simple, uh, basically just base malt. There's not a lot of unfermentables there, a little bit of light aromatics kind of go into making this. You get a nice straw flavor coming through on this beer, and it goes well with that nice straw color as well. Um, hopping wise, we do two different hop additions in this beer uh, during the boil, um, and it's Willamette and Cascade. Um, there's no dry hopping, so you're not getting a whole lot of over-the-top hop character at the end, and there's not a lot of forward bitterness. So this is a very nice, easy-drinking beer, and, and uh, I really find this pairing incredible. I think Jarrett knocked it out of the park um, with it. So very simple. Um, during the week, uh, Country Boy, like I said, 75% of our production, kind of put that in perspective, we make about 28,000 pints of this a week. Um, and it has been greatly credited to our success, and um, we're very happy that um, everybody seems to love it and enjoy it, and we're very easy beer to get behind. So you talk a little bit about why we think, for us being where we are in Kentucky and where we are in the South, that this beer kind of is in our wheelhouse or in, in most folks' wheelhouse. Absolutely. Um, so right now in Kentucky, we're about 10 years late to the craft brewing game. Um, when we started, I think there was about six well, craft let me, let me jump in with my Mark Twain quote. Mark Twain said, when the world ends, I want to be in Kentucky because everything there happens 10 years later. <laughs> and he was right. Sorry, Absolutely. No. Um, yeah, so 
you know, Kentucky, when we started, had about, I think, six craft breweries. Yes, uh, now we're on the verge of about 26, mm -hmm. and we've only been open for a little over four years. So, you know, we're late to the game, but everything's picking up. But what has dominated the market in Kentucky for the longest time has been the macros. And in Kentucky, a lot of people are very um, proud macro drinkers. They, they love that beer, and that's the beer that they stand behind. But as an introduction beer to craft, um, this kind of gets a lot of people excited too. It doesn't scare them away. It's not a huge barrel-aged stout or an over-the-top IPA that's super bitter or super hopped up. Um, it's it's, it's kind of that beer that you could tiptoe in as an introductory to craft beer, and now I'm drinking craft beer. I like this. Mm -hmm. Maybe I might try some other things. And you may start venturing in, and you'll find out some of our other ventures coming down the road. And, and so that, it's a great introductory beer. And with Kentucky, you know, that, that craft market share is pretty small. DH, you got the exact number on craft to macro. We're, uh, so nationwide, I believe we're at, what, 11%, a little over 11%? 12.2%. Kentucky, we're about 4 Yeah. So we're, we're chipping away at that, and a big reason with that is cougar bait because it is such a great lawnmower beer, if you would. So they get a lot of country boys in Kentucky out uh, in the hot days, in the summer, in the fields, and on their yard, in the yards, and it's a, it's a great beer for that, and great we're, summer beer. We're glass half full people. We're glass half full brewery, which means we believe there's a lot of meat on the bone out there. And to expand a little bit on what Sink said is that there was an article that we were honored to be featured in uh, in the new brewer written by our friend Stan Hieronymus that talked about you know, the future of graft and, and what's out there. You know, we've got, you know, tons of, we're over, what, 4,300 breweries right now that are opening all the time. I believe there's still tons of room uh, out there for them to grow. But for us in Kentucky, we're very parochial people. Uh, we're very proud people. Uh, you especially got your, in your Western Kentucky uh, coal fields and the mountains of Eastern Kentucky. Uh, folks in Kentucky love Kentucky. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to say we love Kentucky as much as Texans love Texas, but we're pretty close. Uh, <laughs> And, 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 and within that is local, and, and that comes through in our food scene, that comes through in the beer scene. And so for us, how do we reach that person that's been marginalized, and maybe not intentionally by the craft beer movement, but has been, that, that sees craft beer as kind of, oh, that's not for me. Uh, you know, I, I drink beer X because my dad drank it, and his dad drank it, and his dad drank it, and his uncles drank it. And I can remember that, those experiences you know, at Christmas or around the campfire or at Thanksgiving when this beer was present. And it's the same thing, those are, those are the same experiences that we all have, it's just in a different realm. And so how do we reach those guys? Because those guys need to be drinking Kentucky beer. They need to be drinking Kentucky, or they need to be eating Kentucky food. Uh, the cost and all that stuff doesn't matter. All that goes out the window once you get pride and integrity behind the product. And so for us, it's our mission, how do we reach all those guys? You know, we love our beer nerds, we love them. We make all kinds of, hopefully you have some beers tonight that you, that, that rings the bell if, if you consider yourself in that crowd. And, and I don't say beer nerd derogatory, I say that as kind of a, a badge of honor. But I want the dude that drinks like a case of this a week to come on board, right? Like I want that dude, because, he, because he's gonna be loyal and he's gonna get on with this, not because, not because it's something that he's told to do, but because it's something that comes, wells up inside of him. And same way with food, Jared, I think you could probably weigh on that as well. Uh, people have a special connection with food that kind of Absolutely. brings them back. Yep, and that's, that's again, true, true to what we do at the Red Hen in that we, we value product first. We don't cut corners. Um, everything that we make is, uh, everything that we do is done intentionally. You won't find extra little floofs on the, on the plate that have no matter. Uh, everything is done intentionally with the product in mind um, and, and with, with y'all in mind, uh, honestly, and that um, we, we want to resonate with people. We want to hit home with uh, our rigatoni with, with fennel sausage ragu and that it want, well, we want it to, 
to harken back to when you were a kid and your mom's making bolognese for you or whatever she, uh, she made similar to bolognese. Um, and, and we, again, want to be true to ourselves and, again, want to produce food that we want to eat because we pretty much only eat at our restaurant when we're there out of, out of, <laughs> yeah, out of no force doubt. and because uh, we like it. But uh, They're going to get the next courses rolling. Anybody got any questions in the meantime? If you do, please just raise your hand. Uh, about the all, all bets are off. Whatever you want to ask, you can ask. Brewery, beer, food, anything like that. Personal life, I'm, I'm in any How, questions. Where'd you get the name Cougar Bait? Uh, the question was, where'd we get the name Cougar Bait? And it was uh, on the on the on a all night trip back from Michigan. We were picking up brewing equipment fueled by uh, Monster Energy drinks and Moon Pies. Uh, one of my partner, <laughs> which is true, I'm not making any of this up. I'm known to embellish, but that is the truth. Uh, one of my partners kind of just threw it out there in German. He was like, well, we called it this. And we're like, man, we love the Germans, but let's just call it what we call it. Let's just call it Cougar Bait. And so for us, it's a, it's a little bit tongue in cheek. Uh, it's a little bit funny without being uncouth. I think there's a line, that's a whole other talk I can get on that some craft brewers cross <laughs> uh, about, about being jovial and about being uh, fun-loving without being cross. Uh, and so for us, Cougar Bait, if you read the, the back of the can, it just says it'll help you catch, uh, help, it'll help you with your catch, whatever you're fishing for. So it's, just a, it's, a, it's, a fun, it's a fun beer name that just fits the brand. No more? We'll get started on the next one. Yeah, the beer will loosen y'all up a little bit, too. Yeah, keep drinking. You'll ask more questions. Exactly. Cool. All right, well, I'll, I'll roll on. I think uh, we're, we're getting the food out first. Jared, do you want to talk about the food first? We'll kind yeah, of absolutely. go backwards from um, the first so, time. So this next, next course, uh, a lot of people are familiar with gnocchi. Uh, not that many people are familiar with uh, this type of gnocchi. Um, this is uh, baked semolina gnocchi, uh, also known as Roman gnocchi, uh, generally found only within Rome. Uh, most people are familiar with that gnocchi that looks like little pillows that are made of potatoes, also delicious, different part of Italy. Um, so semolina gnocchi is, is essentially, um, think polenta uh, that is set pretty vigorously, uh, made only with semolina. Uh, semolina is the type of flour, it is a hard wheat uh, that is more common in, uh, let's say, the old countries than our country. We're pretty used to soft wheat here in America. Uh, and you will see semolina, if you ever hold it in your hand, it looks like polenta, it's little fragments. Um, so we make a beautiful uh, Roman style gnocchi out of it. Uh, good bit of Parmesan in there, a little bit of egg, uh, good bit of olive oil. Uh, underneath uh, is a pistachio pesto, uh, so not your common pine nut pesto. Uh, I enjoy pine nut pesto. Uh, this is not that. Uh, the, the beauty of this pairing is that uh, I find with the Alpha Experiment IPA, which y'all are getting uh, soon, is that We're gonna that, first. That, uh, that IPA um, fills in the gap in the pesto that you would normally find. Um, it, it brings that, um, that pine nut resininess uh, into the mix. So you're getting essentially the deconstructed pesto, you're getting elements from the original kind of pesto in, uh, in the beer, and that's where I was talking about with that S word that I won't say again, uh, <laughs> where the fireworks happen, in that you're, you're kind of filling gaps uh, of, not necessarily that they are present gaps in the product as is, but you're, you're unlocking you know, tertiary flavors uh, and, and bringing a whole new experience uh, to the table with just the simple addition of uh, you know, washing your mouth out with this particular beer and not that one. Um, which, uh, again, like with this, with the pesto, uh, it's, it's a wonderful pairing. I'm actually excited for you to try this and, and hopefully yeah, agree with me. Not as excited as I am. <laughs> uh, yeah, so 
Anybody not like hoppy beers out there? Maybe I saw a little half hand go up with, you got a hop head? I like, I like hops with purpose. Okay, I gotcha, gotcha. Well, that, that's, a good, that's a good segue because anything can be overdone, correct? Absolutely. You know, it's like when we, when we, have, we do a chili cook-off at the brewery, right, Sink? Yep. And when we do that, we invite folks to come in. A lot of them are regulars. Um, but we say, hey, make a chili, donate. Uh, it's like $10 if you don't have any canned goods. It's free if you bring canned goods. We give it to the local food bank. Come in, taste the chili. We let everybody vote. We pick fan-favorite chili. Well, there's a couple, usually with chili cook-offs, and this goes, I mean, this is a southern thing, obviously, because we're talking about chili, but they, you pick different categories, right? It's like most unique chili or best chili. There's always a hottest chili. It's easy to win the hottest chili. <laughs> Just dump a bunch of hot stuff in it, and you can make it hot. That doesn't necessarily mean it's good. If you, and this is me jumping into your world a little bit, Jared, if you want to make something like a taco that tastes like cilantro, you can dump a ton of cilantro in it, it'll taste like cilantro. But the key is balance. And, that, and that, goes for, that goes for food and that goes for beer. So for hoppy stuff, and I'm not knocking any other brewer that may be here or any brewer in America, but you can make the hoppiest beer if you want to by just dumping a buttload of hops into it. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's great because the key in all that stuff is balance. And so for us with this beer, this is an alpha experiment series, which means we're taking the same base malt, the same ingredients malt, the same every time, same yeast every time. And we put a single hop in it to let you guys and let us experience what does this hop taste like? Because for a lot of us out there, myself included, there are tons and tons and tons of varietals of hops. But what do they actually take? What are the nuances of those hops? And so this series lets us say, we're going to isolate, you know, just like when you're in algebra. You've got to only have one variable that changes before you know what that variable is, right? And so for us, we've got to keep everything else constant. We're going to change the hops. And so we chose this beer to bring tonight. Uh, mosaic is crazy. Uh, I've heard some brewers come by and, uh, and, and talk as we're, as we're talking about hops. Like, I don't know why there are any other hops out there. They should all just die because Mosaic is the best. And I have to agree with them. It's pretty crazy. It, uh, I'll let Sink get into the mechanics of how we're doing all this stuff. But it, it's a funky, it's crazy, it's, it's fruity. People ask, like, oh, my gosh, did you put strawberries in this? Did you put tangerines in this? No, I mean, it all comes from the hops. But in doing that, it kind of lets us at Country Boy kind of exercise a little bit of our, our fun stuff, you know. We, we love making cougar bait, like Sink was saying, it's 75% of production. Uh, we, are, we have another beer that's 15% of our production. Uh, and this is like .0001, but this is where our brewers get to nerd out and have a ton of fun. By getting a new hop in, isolating it, checking it out, seeing what it tastes like, and then an experience like this where you put this beer and this food together makes it second to none. And I'm gonna shut up, let Sink talk so I can eat it. Yeah. So first to kind of explain what the Alpha Experiment series is all about. Um, for us, it kind of embodies the creativity, the scientific kind of approach that we, we take at Country Boy with everything. And it, it's basically a way for us to test new hop varietals because there's new, coming, new ones coming down the pipe every day. And a lot of them we have no clue about. No, we, have, we don't know what they're, they're used for, if it's great for bittering, if you get a lot of aroma from it, what it is. So this, this Alpha Experiment series was born kind of out of yeah. the curiosity of what, what can hops <laughs> do and what do different hops do to each beer. So we make a very, very simple base beer for this guy and um, there's not a lot of aromatics again in this. It's just we want to try to keep it as clean and simple as possible so we can let this, this hop aroma, the, the hop flavor, the bitterness and everything show through. 
Um, we've done a lot of different hops with this, with this alpha experiment, but by far, I think the uh, most popular, and I know as far as all the breweries, or, or all of our brewers go, the mosaic is their favorite. Um, mosaic hops are, as you hopefully are tasting, are very kind of dinky. Uh, you get um, a lot of fruit aromas from that. Um, it's not too over the top as far as bitterness goes, and you get just a ton of back, back aroma and back flavor. Um, so, you know, for mosaic, you know, we, we hop it three different times during the boil, generous portions. Um, we're trying to put a lot in in the bittering, trying to put a lot in late for, for all those aromas that you're getting. And then we dump a ton more hops in for the dry hopping. So after fermentation, which takes about two weeks on this beer, it comes in about 7% after fermentation. Um, and then we, we throw all those dry hops in about after that two-week point. And then we always wait five days to kind of let those hops um, dissolve and settle through the beer uh, before we run it through our centrifuge to kind of separate all those hop particulates out. And you just are left with this fine product here. Um, and again, you know, the Alpha experiment for us, it's just, it's a way for us to think ahead into the future. The hop uh, game is, is quite competitive. Some, some years you can get any hop you want. Some years, no chance. Uh, so, you know, we, we try to stay out ahead of it and contract as far in advance as we can and try to save a little bit back, um, freeze them and so we can use it at a later date. But, but we never really know what year to year what that crop is going to look like. So it's a way for us to adjust our recipes based on, you know, some of these hops that we're experiencing and trying out that, you know, hey, this beer is lacking a little bit in bitterness or we need another little note in that aroma. And by singling out these hops and really telling what, what addition it can do, you know, we can say, hey, um, it doesn't look very good for Amarillo in the future. Maybe we can substitute in a little Citra if we've done a Citra Alpha experiment. Um, so there's, there's a lot of ways to kind of play around with it like that. And, uh, and then, you know, it's just everybody gets excited about new hops and, and, and seeing what that's all about. So, uh, yeah, so this is just really fun beer to make. Think have you got to taste it yet? I have. It's, it's delicious. <clears throat> so the beer, I'm kind of glad we didn't get to taste this beforehand because I'm getting yeah. to experience it right now with you guys uh, together. But the kind of the beauty of this one, and I think the, the, perfect, the perfect pairing is it's hard to tell where one flavor stops and the other one starts, right? They kind of all meld together. And so for this one, we were talking before, food, little sip, a little more food, another sip to wash it down. They blend together extremely well. This is beautiful, man. Like, kudos Thank to you. you. This, is, this is awesome. Yeah, and again, to the mechanics of pairing, it's, you know, it, we, we do, and it's, um, pardon, uh, one of our, it's a great challenge for me. Like, I always love to, to pair with, with things because it really gets your brain working of, like, why will this work? Um, uh, myself and, and Crystal sat down uh, with a, a, a large case of your beers that you sent us, uh, thank you very much, uh, and had a dinner and kind of tasted through our menu and found what works and just found that this with the gnocchi and the pesto, again, when we talk about fireworks going off, um, you know, you get, you get the citrusy, lemony elements out of the hops uh, that mirror what's going on in the pesto. You get the resiny, piney elements out of the hops that are not in the pesto but normally are, and it's a kind of a, a mind trick kind of thing in that it, it blends together so smoothly that you're not hammering, you know, square peg into a round hole. We're really going for round peg, round hole, uh, what, what will work. Um, and everyone's palate is pretty intuitive on that. Everyone kind of knows intrinsically what, what that is. Um, it, uh, 
it comes with time and it comes with tasting, but uh, everyone here has been eating food for as long as they've been alive, as far as I know, uh, <laughs> and, and drinking beer for hopefully most of that if they could have. Um, so, you know, we're all pretty smart as far as like what works for us. Um, and and uh, it's not rocket science. Um, the, um, the main thing that we go for in regards to pairing is, are we trying to mirror flavor with flavor? Are we trying to mirror the flavors that are in the product, in the food to the beer, or are we trying to get competing necessarily or competing flavors that work well. Um, you can go at it uh, of two, uh, two different routes. Um, this one is more of mirroring than it is uh, of competing because generally uh, in pairing, particularly with wines and also with beers, uh, if there's a, a particularly heavy dish, you don't necessarily want to go with a heavy beer because it's like with like and it will just blow out your palate. Um, generally, you go for something a little on the lighter side of things, um, but that still has kind of the same foundational flavor profile. Um, that's kind of what we did here and that the gnocchi is so rich. Uh, it is an intrinsically rich, rich dish. Uh, there's a ton of Parmesan in there uh, and a little bit, bit more on top, but that's where the beauty of the beer comes in because it has the lightness and brightness and palate cleansing effect on that gnocchi, uh, but again, has some of the, uh, the, the, the flavor components that, uh, that work well. Jared, there's some texture stuff in here too, I think, that, that, yeah. that complements it. You know, like this is, <clears throat> I, you hear a lot of people say, you know, we talk about the culinary aspect of things, like, oh, I like the flavor of that, but the texture weirds me out. Which I lived in Japan for three years, and if you're not a texture person, just pack it up and go home. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because if you can't get over that, you're not gonna have a good time there. Yeah, but the texture of this really, because this is an aggressive beer, right? You know, it's pretty intense, and so the texture, I think, kind of stands up to that. Yeah, and we always try to go body with body as well. That's why with the first pairing, it's, it's a very light, you know, fish salad on toast with a, a rather light but full-bodied beer. Same effect. This is more of the medium-bodied side of things, the, or maybe medium plus, on the, on the gnocchi with the beer, and we're going full throttle on the third, uh, which y'all yeah. will soon find out. Uh, but yeah, we always go for body. Cool. Body is definitely, uh, and, and texture is always, uh, always in, in the conversation as well. Awesome. Questions? I saw you first back there, not picking favorites. Great job, by the way. Thank you, sir. Um, what's the ABV and IBU on this one? Yeah, so we're 7% uh, we're on this one. IBU sync. We actually don't measure IBUs at Country Boy. Um, it's... Can I, can I get on the soapbox real quick? You can't. If, <clears throat> if you're not, right. I'm going to. So I'll be used real quick. I, I, I'm not knocking anybody else that's out there because it's 2016. It's a year of positivity, right? <laughs> I, is that what it is? Oh, yeah. It is at the brewery anyway. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, IBUs are calculated to help brewers understand how much of a hop to add, right? And again, not knocking anybody else out there. And, and absolutely, sir, IBUs help you understand what, how many hops are in there, and that's valid. But for us, we look at it this way. Have you ever tasted a piece of cake and said, man, this is a good cake? How many grams of sugar did you put in this? <laughs> and, and, and again, the reason being is IBUs are, are on our side to, to help understand how much to go in there, not really to understand how bitter a beer should be. And the reason is this hop mosaic is funky. It's intense. It's a, it's a mouth punch. And the, the same amount of grams of say cascade or lament or any of those hops are going to be completely different to the same ounce number of mosaic because the alpha acids in this one are going to peel your teeth off and so i think on this one and i'm shooting from the hip here but we're probably around 70 mid 70s but we really don't measure them and that's not because we're lazy it's by design at least that's what we tell ourselves <laughs> thank you though and there were a couple of questions yeah a couple up front i probably don't need this but uh 
I remember you guys from last year, and Thank they had you. that IPA, and I was like, Jesus Christ, this is good. <laughs> and I had my cousin, I had to, he lives in West Virginia, so he, he's in, uh, close to Charleston. So yes, you sir. guys are out there. Yes, sir, um, we are. So I had him go out there and get some stuff and bring it back. But uh, I was going to ask, how much, um, where's the difference between that IPA, which I've never had since last year again, compared to this one? I guess, is, do you use that as a, was that like a base? For, for this uh, mosaic? So that's Cliff Jumper, what we brought last year, uh, which is, we call it our working man's IPA. It's, uh, it's, it's not an experimental series, it's what we try to do year round. Sink, you wanna talk about the nuances and the differences? Yeah, um, very similar as far as, you know, you know 7% ABV, um, but kind of what I alluded to earlier with the Alpha Experiment. So our brews have kind of evolved and changed a little bit over time. And with the Alpha Experiment, we learned we love mosaic hops. There's a lot, you know, a lot of meat on that bone. So. We've actually started to cut a little bit into a lot of different beers as well as Cliff Jumper, but they're still very far apart. Uh, there's tons more bitterness and a lot more, um, you know, early edition hops. And, you know, we push a little bit of Amarillo, a little bit of Centennial, um, and some other things into that, into that Cliff Jumper. So, you know, the, the Alpha Experiments are just a single hop IPA because we want to know exactly what that hop's all about, what it can do, what it brings to the table. But, um, so you've, you don't get near as much bitterness on the Alpha Experiment as you would a Cliff Jumper. But I think uh, the Cliff Jumper IPA, which is our flagship IPA, is a lot more well-rounded as far as you know aroma, bitterness, and you know, just full body flavor and everything like that. So the big question: Any plans to come in this area? You've been here two years. I don't know if you were here three years ago, but uh, well, you got to get some some of that in this area. We love DC. What about and, what about the production manager? Can we get and, um, Virginia is fine. He started, he's starting to sweat. Y'all looking yeah. at him? Right now, I'm making all the beer we can, uh, and we how haven't about, had a problem selling it. Thank goodness. How about supplying two restaurants? <laughs> no, we, we we're working that. on it. DH alluded to our production facility that uh, we're working on. Hopefully that guy will be ready to go and go online around November. Give us a few months to iron out all the kinks and, and get the work rolling. And uh, I love coming back to D.C., especially if I can have food like this from the Red Hen. I would love to send beer to D.C. So I would we'll definitely be looking for That's an easy trade. Definitely be looking out for us in the future, maybe in a year or so. Thank you, sir. Um, yes, when I... Uh, here in Kentucky, I think of my other favorite beverage, bourbon. And when I hear bourbon, I think of barrels and barrel-aged beer. Yes, sir. And I guess a question for uh, maybe for Jared is, um, if you were to pair food uh, to essentiate maybe a bourbon, st uh, bourbon taste or a wood-based taste, yeah. what, what type of food style would you pair? You're about to find out. Yeah, actually, <laughs> a good, timely question. Uh, is this one bourbon barrel or rum barrel? Rum. This this one is interesting because this one <clears throat> is actually a rum, a Kentucky-made rum that's all sorghum, sourced from Kentucky, that's put in old Four Roses barrels. So they make Four Roses, goes into the barrel, dump it. Our buddies at Wilderness Trail buy it in Danville. They put their rum into it, age it. They sell it to us. We buy it, put beer into it. Um. So Very in, easy com concept, right? Uh, in regards to pairing with, with beers like this one, uh, particularly generally barrel-aged or higher ABV, uh, high-gravity, uh, night-enders, um, <laughs> you drink them at the end of the night because that's what you can taste after you've had many beers before it is the, is the concept. Um, we went dessert with this one specifically because of the spicing in this beer. Um, in regards to barrel-aged beers in general, you try to go with heavier flavored dishes. Um, typically with barrel-aged beers, the flavors are much more pronounced, uh, less like 
Um, with, the, with, the, with the alpha mosaic, um, the, the flavor profile is varied in that you get you know, citrusy elements and piney elements and, and weedy elements and all the cool little things. Generally with barrel-aged beers and with higher uh, gravity beers, there are just a few flavor components to work with, uh, particularly because bourbon uh, barrels uh, impart so much flavor. Um, you, get, you, know, you get not only from the beer, but from the barrel, you get all of the... Um, the things that it does also to wine. You get the vanilla com, uh, compounds, you get the, the bourbon compounds for sure. Um, so you're working with much bigger, strappier flavors, uh, so you kind of want to go bigger and bolder. Um, this one, because of the spicing, we went dessert. Uh, we actually built the dish um, to kind of be the palate cleanser for the beer, uh, which is a little bit outside of uh, what normally happens. Um, but yeah, on the whole, depending on the beer and depending on, on the, the barrel product, uh, you want to go with larger, mm, larger flavors in the dish. Uh, so you're not going with, like that first course, the Trout Crostini would be blown away by anything barrel aged. That gnocchi would be blown away by anything barrel aged. Absolutely anything, doesn't matter. Uh, we tried it. Actually, you sent along your, um, your uh, Imperial IPA with grapefruit. Yes, sir. Uh, delicious beer. Terrible with a gnocchi. Mm -hmm. uh, not barrel aged, but just because it had so much flavor mm -hmm. uh, that just everything was lost within the gnocchi and the pesto. Gotcha. So really, you're, you're trying to, uh, when we talk about texture and body, you're trying to bring them both on the same level uh, and then think about um, flavor components within each, each dish. Um, so this, this dish that y'all have in front of, of y'all uh, is uh, a little bit outside of our comfort zone as far as flavor profile. Um, this is a coconut milk panna cotta with a spiced hazelnut crumble. Uh, we normally do panna cottas occasionally in the summertime because they're delicious. We don't normally go coconut milk. Um, we did this specifically because of, of the way that this beer tastes. Uh, we thought that it was a beautiful palate cleanser, that the, palate, that the, um, the flavors on the whole worked very well together, played well together. Um, and again, this panna cotta was kind of designed as the palate cleanser for the beer, which you will notice, uh, and, and y'all can talk about the, the bold flavors in this beer. Uh, they warrant a little bit of a, a cooling down after. Yeah? <clears throat> awesome. So, good. Jared, I just moved over here just so my friends back here in the corner, they could actually see us for a moment. Forgive me. Oh, good. Uh, come join me. No, I'll join you. Uh, so th like this, is, this is playground beer for us. And so like we said, uh, Cougar Baby is 75% of production. Our Shotgun Wedding, which is Vanilla Brown. Is, is another uh, 15, and that, that other percentage just left, I'll tell you what it was, but my math is screwed up right now. Uh, that percentage is, is the fun stuff for us. That's where we really, really get to nerd out on making the different stuff. So this is uh, one of my partners, Nate, is, uh, is a mad scientist. Sometimes he comes up with some ideas that we're like, there's no way that'll ever work. And so when he says, we're gonna take a stout <clears throat> and we're gonna put it in rum barrels, and then we're gonna add three different types of peppers to it. And then we're gonna put some coffee in it. And then we're gonna put some cinnamon in it. And it's gonna be good. And me being like, you know, the marketing guy, I'm like, man, it's a terrible idea. <laughs> It'll never work. Nobody will ever like it. And this is what you come out with. So the, the idea is to get that whole mole, just that delicious little bit of cinnamon, cinnamony, a little bit of coffee, a little bit of mocha. -y. The rum kind of adds a little uh, rum. That's what I'm looking for. The, the toasted notes a little bit you get out of that. Uh, <clears throat> and you get the spice from the peppers. 
Now, Sink will talk a little bit about, he calls him the Holy Trinity. He's a pepper nerd. Uh, but the different peppers that are in this beer and how they come together. And this is beautiful. You're a genius, dude. Thank you. This, this pair is, no one ever this said that. pairing is, uh, I mean it. I mean, can you, can you taste it? You know what I mean? Like you, get, you start to get the heat and this comes through and just melds it together. Yeah, and, and we, it, and, um, you know, in the spicing of the beer, we mirrored some of those spices in the actual crumble on top. So you get cinnamon, you get the warm baking spices um, to mirror that. But also, again, the, the, the panna cotta itself is, is light and, and, and milky, as panna cotta should be, and, and just bright to kind of wash away the, or, or play well with, but wash away the, the heat from the chilies, the toastiness of the coffee. Um, again, just playing well together. Awesome. Try and this beer's 9% too, which you wouldn't think I, it doesn't drink like that. But Sink, you wanna talk yeah. about the peppers and all the other stuff? Yeah, so uh, this beer um, is probably one of our most complicated beers to make, just because all the different steps and all the different process and the ingredients going into it. Um, so we make, we start off with just making a stout base that we brew, uh, ferment out in about a two week time period. And then we move it along into the rum barrels, which DH alluded to. Um, we lock that away in for six months in those rum barrels. And you get some nice complexities in Kentucky because there's so much change in temperature and temperature swings. Um, we try not to let any beers get above uh, 70 degrees. Uh, so at that point, you know, if it's starting to get hot in the summer, we'll pull them back in and put them in the cooler. But this beer was all done through the winter, so you get some nice subtle notes to everything. The hotter you get, the more aggressive you get. So we wait until the um, bright tank side, which is the cellaring side, um, to add a lot of these ingredients. Because if you add them in the boil, you go way over the top. And basically, we like to make beers, and if we, we make a weird beer, it has a lot of different things in it. We don't want it to be all about peppers, you know. We want it to be a good beer on its own, and then that... That kind of complements and it's balanced. Bounce. So, you know, after that six month time period in the barrel, we pull it out, um, bring it back into a bright tank where we then um, age it on the three different chilies. Um, those three are Arbols, uh, Basilas, and Mulattas. Um, I think all are from the Ancho family, but as DH alluded to, the holy trinity of peppers, if you would. Um, and it, they really all work well together. You know, you don't get a ton of um, just high heat, it's, it's a nice subtle note. Um, and you get a lot of that good flavor as well, a little bit of smokiness there. Um, and then that's exa exactly when we add the cinnamon and the, and the cocoa nibs as well, to kind of push a little bit of the sweetness flavor. I forgot cocoa nibs. Yeah, uh, and, and the coffee goes in at that point. So a lot of the, those flavor additions are added late uh, when it's in a cold state, so it's not picking up and getting over the top. You know, it's not all about the peppers, it's not all about the coffee, it's not all about the chocolate, it's just a nice balance of all, all things coming together and making a great beer. Um, Again, this is one of the most complicated beers we make, so it's not something we do a lot of. Uh, I think we brewed um, about a 300-gallon batch of this uh, and, and aged away. Um, and Are you guys yeah. good with a bonus beer? Should we go ahead and serve a bonus beer? Yeah. I think everybody would love that. Um, the, the, the bonus beers as well are going to be yeah. more of our pepper varieties. We so like to play around while, peppers, we're talk so. while we're talking about bonus beers, uh, and while we're talking about pepper beers, the uh, yeah, jalapeno smoke porter, bring that one out. So we have, we have a bourbon barrel aged jalapeno smoke porter. Wow. Awesome. May I interrupt you for a second? Interrupt away, son. Uh, I would just like to thank Crystal for, uh, for this beautiful food. She finally got to reemerge, so thank you. What do you guys think about the last one? This is my favorite by far. Yeah. This one's amazing. Yeah. Like it? It's good. Beautiful. Beautiful. We yes, sir. Yeah, I have a question. What's yes, your distro footprint? And if it's not in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, are you, do you have any guys, have any plans to expand out here? Say it again, sir. I couldn't hear you. 
what's your distribution footprint? Uh, oh, yeah, so mandate. right now we're Indiana, Indianapolis South, all of Kentucky, all of West Virginia. Okay. So Sinkhorn uh, mentioned a little bit ago, once the new place gets online, we'll look for those spots, but our bottle is deep, so we want to go deep in Kentucky, deep in southern Indiana, deep in West Virginia. And once we get everybody in those states to drink our beer, then we'll come to you guys. <laughs> yes, sir. Okay, so um, a comment and a, and a question. Yes, the, sir. the comment is, if you would have told me that the stout and the panna cotta were once one dish and you separated them together, uh, apart and served them that way, I would, I would have believed you 100%. It good. The, we did our job then. I, I, I yeah, that's a believe, testament to these guys. I cannot sure. believe how good that was. Yes. Thank that, you. It was just incredible. So my question is actually going back to the experimental IPAs. Mm -hmm. okay. um, you mentioned that you, um, you're always excited to get new hops in. Is there a specific uh, region of the world or a specific region of the country, uh, the U.S., where you, where you look to get hops or are you looking for a specific hop to make the next, the next beer? You know, um, all hop rattles are different, and then from all regions, there you, you you see a lot of different flavors coming out from those hops. So, really, we like to just take on anything we can get. There's all kinds of new varieties coming along every year. Um, obviously, I'm kind of partial to the New Zealand style hops um, because there's just so much more uh, fruity aromas and things coming out of that. They're not near as earthy, uh, and I go more for the more of their aromatic type type hops. You had a question as well, sir? Yeah, hello. Uh, I had a question about uh, not pairing with food, which was sublime. I think everyone agrees with that one on this Thank last you. one. Thank you. Um, but cooking with it, is that a different art completely? Like when I drank the beer, because I hadn't tasted it yet with the food, my first thought was, man, I'd like to braise like a pork butt with this. Or is that like overkill? Is that like the stupidest thing to think uh, of? I think, <laughs> yeah. No, that's definitely a great question. I mean, it's, it's not overkill by any means. I mean, you hear about people Get on the mic. Get on the mic, Crystal. I mean, get on the, the mic, mic, Crystal. There we go. No, I mean, you could easily do something like that. Um, I think the, especially with, when it comes to these beers that have a lot of ingredients in them that you would put with the food, I mean, like you said, you, like, putting it in a brace, something like that, it's only going to add more flavor to what you're doing. So, no, not a, not a stupid question at all. <laughs> you're definitely on the right track. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and in that, on that note, you're, you're, adding layers, and that's kind of what, what you do when you're building a dish, it's what you do when you're building a beer. Um, and on the whole, and like the gentleman next to you said, like, when you have something completed, it's, it's, it's seamless. Um, and, and if you're starting a braise with beer instead of water, then you're just adding another layer of complexity into the dish uh, and into the end product. So not necessarily overkill or a bad thing, um, but call. should be chosen wisely. So, like, sure. I would not braise chicken breast in this beer. <laughs> or fish, perhaps. Um, but, you know, like, a, 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 uh, we're going body with body. So if you have, you know, a, a, a you know, beef shank uh, or a, a pretty a stout piece of meat, then absolutely. Uh, or if you're going, um, and Chris can talk more about this, on the lighter side of beers, if you're doing a, a lighter flavored foods, then, I mean, we all know the classic, you know, bratwurst and beer. It works for a reason. Um, it's it's done for a reason. Uh, it's not it's not done um, just just because you can do it. It's absolutely done with with purpose. Awesome. And that's as long as you're doing it with purpose and you know the purpose and it works, then you're fine. Mike's coming. On the same topic of cooking with beer, I've always found it challenging to cook with hoppy beers, mostly because the bitterness starts getting concentrated and then the other flavors maybe boil off and the bitterness kind of stays. 
what can you cook or should you cook or should you use hoppy beers while cooking? Um, I can't say that I've ever cooked with hoppy beers or tried personally. Um, I think that's probably why. Um, I mean, literally, I mean, I'm just thinking in my head. You know, if anything, like things like Jared was talking about, um, like the bratwurst, things like that, that, you know, could lend flavor to, but not overpower necessarily, um, might be a good option for something like that. Yeah, and that's, and you're absolutely right in that when you're cooking with things that um, have delicate aromatics like an IPA, um, you're going to lose a lot of those in the end product just because of the nature of heat. Heat destroys everything. Um, so, again, and being done with purpose, and, and if you're not expecting those, those aromatics to carry through in the dish, which they absolutely won't, um, the, it can be done to add bitterness into a dish because bitterness is a good thing. Um, bitterness, when done properly, is, is a beautiful thing. Um, look at the Negroni. Um, so, you know, as long as balance is kept in mind. I think DH touched on this. You yeah. can make the hoppiest beer or the hottest chili or whatever. It's easy to do that. It's hard to fall somewhere in the middle ground and, and make it done right and uh, balance. <clears throat> and me being the hophead that I am, rarely do I have a hoppy beer that I'm going to cook with because usually I'm drinking it. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm doing my bratwurst with the four-month-old Miller Lite my buddy brought to the house and left. So, No offense to Miller Lite if you're out there. I believe this gentleman's been, had a question for a while. Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Don't set me up. It's not that good. Okay. <laughs> Any question's a good question. So when, like, hearing Jared talk about, you know, I got a case of your beer, and we sat down, and we drank, and we thought about how to pair it with the food. Like, I can conceptualize. I can't do it, but it makes sense to me. But I guess on the flip side, so like DH or Sync, do you guys ever do it the other way? Like, I had a great meal out, and I want to start a beer from scratch that's going to pair with that dish. Or, like, you know, grandma's... Good question. Uh, you know, grandma's chicken pot pie or something like that. I guess more so, not so much of the food, but more of the experience. Would you say that synced is what we're yeah, trying to do? Uh, and so Cougar Bay comes to that for me. You know, we're, we're, we're Kentucky, we're SEC, we're football territory, we're fishing, we're, you know, we're, and I mean that like we're tailgating country, we're, we're fishing country, we're family reunion at the park people. And so that, that's where Cougar Bay comes to me from. Uh, I would say with the hoppy beers, you know, we, we want to make something to kind of, that I want to kind of fill that void in our, in our portfolio with beer. Uh, most definitely, like, the beer you're drinking now, and that's a great segue, not to, not to hijack your question, but we first made this beer for Keeneland, which Keeneland is a horse track in Lexington, if you're not familiar, uh, as a homebrew batch for a bunch of friends that were, were having a, a tailgate at Keeneland. And so Keeneland, it comes two times, spring and the fall. So fall meat came around. Cool, we'll make a pumpkin beer as a homebrew recipe, and we'll make a pepper beer. And so this, it's a jalapeno smoked porter for that, and that, that's what you're drinking right now, hopefully. Uh, that, that's where that beer came in. And so what it is, is it's, it's smoked malt. It's alderwood smoked malt, or cherrywood smoked malt, forgive me. Uh, Cherry and beechwood. And then uh, we put fresh jalapenos, both in the boil and in the fermenter, so hot side and cold side. That's what's brewed with and infused with fresh de-seeded jalapenos. So you get that green pepper smell. But you also get a little bit of the flesh in there as well. Then we barrel age it in bourbon barrels just because we want to be crazy, right? Uh, and, and so that, this beer, I guess, is brewed for more of the experience, sir, rather than, than, than the food. But it, these guys, I don't claim to be a chef at, at all, trust me. Even at home, my wife would tell you the same thing. The, the, these, guys, these guys are the ones who take that over. So I guess for more of us, we brew for the experience, forgive me. And then for these guys, they, they, can, they can piece it together. A great question. So the, uh, sorry, but I, 
I know traditionally in the restaurant scene, you'd have like chefs pairing men mer menus with wine. Uh, sure. Finally, with the advent of more good beer, uh, we're starting to see more uh, pairings with beer. I was wondering from the redhead perspective, either like beer pairing dinners or just what you see in the DC scene in terms of not everywhere you go, everything's paired with wine, but there's beer sure. pairings becoming more affluent as well. Yeah. Um, I, uh, in recent years, uh, as the beer scene has progressed in DC, it's gotten, gotten better. Um, when it comes to pairing with beer uh, and its prevalence and on restaurant menus, um, there are people that are a lot better at it than others. Uh, I am always happy to do it at the Red Hen uh, for anyone that requests it. We kind of are um, a casual place in that we don't have pairing menus. Uh, but if anyone ever asks me in the restaurant, to, you know, hey, what beer goes with this dish, I will work my hardest uh, and my little brain will be pouring out steam uh, to, try to, make it, to try to make it work. Um, so there are people out there, and you know, that, that, is, that is my job at the Red Hen partially um, and at other restaurants across the city. The sommeliers or uh, cicerones uh, or what are out there, whatever other titles people are getting, um, that's what they do, and that's what, what what they think about. And you know, as on a weekly basis at the Red Hen, between myself and Crystal and our other staff, you know, we have these conversations and we talk about our dishes and we talk about the beers that we have in house and like, oh, you know, this would go really good with this. And we constantly have that conversation. So we're excited when people like you come in and ask for that. Like that's a beautiful thing for us because that means that you you know you want Again, you want that S word, um, and, uh, and you want those fireworks, and that excites us because we're very passionate about what we do, as, as uh, Daniel uh, and uh, DHR. Um, again, like when we talk about passion earlier, like that's part of it, and that you know, we love to see people excited. We love to see people get the great pairings, um, and it's only getting better with particularly the DC market with uh, the good beer that is coming out now. Uh, and it's only getting easier to make those pairings because of the variety of beer that's coming out and the resurrection of old styles. Uh, and no longer are we just sticking to, and I hate harping on Imperial IPAs, uh, but you know, it's not everyone's making an Imperial IPA and what can we put with it. It's like you know, people are making Keller beers, people are making Schwartz beers. Uh, and so the variety, the spectrum is finally catching up to where the wine world was. Um, so the options there in pairing um, are getting better and better. Uh, so restaurants with good beer menus have no reason to deny you a beer pairing. And restaurants with bad beer menus, you shouldn't be at anyways. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. <laughs> Hi, you were talking about the uh, sourcing of your, of your hops, and I was intrigued with uh, mosaic before, so I was wondering, I have two questions, wondering where the mosaic comes from, and then secondly, um, there's another salon here tonight talking about um, hops from development of, redevelopment of hops, I guess, from New York, which used to be the source of all, or most hops in America. Yeah. I'm wondering if, if uh, you're seeing development of hops in the U.S. And it's almost like I planted this question, because uh, <clears throat> A couple weeks ago, <clears throat> I got to sit at a round table with the uh, agricultural commissioner, the newly elected agricultural commissioner in Kentucky, Ryan Quarles, who happens to be a friend of mine. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, what he did was commission kind of a study, uh, got all the, we have the Kentucky Hop Growers Alliance, uh, and so brought them in, brought the brewers in, brought the guys from the University of Kentucky in, brought the ag agents in from the extension services. Uh, and talked about how do we, because in Kentucky we're a tobacco state, right? Or were a tobacco, I mean, we both grew up farming tobacco. 
uh, and with tobacco buyout came, there, there, there's nothing there anymore. So you got all these farmers with land, with ability, with know-how, and, and nothing to grow. We're trying to get hemp into it, but there's, you know, there's not a whole lot of stuff to do with hemp at the moment right now. And so, uh, and hemp, not the other stuff for you, you guys. I was about to say, there's a couple things to do with it in D.C. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in Kentucky, anyway. Uh, and so uh, a lot of these guys are looking at hops. And, and so we, uh, we've sat down with them. We, we've bought every commercially grown hop available for sale in Kentucky since we've been open. Uh, if you come to us and say you have hops, we'll buy them. Uh, now, those hops usually aren't tested, so we don't really know what's going on. We're making a wet hop beer with them. Uh, but we want to see the industry explode. Kentucky's a great uh, climate to grow things like hemp, which hop is a close relative of, so we believe it'll do well there. Uh, but we get, we, there's a lot of infrastructure that goes in with that. We also have to meld the, agri the commercial farmer with the hop grower enthusiast. So it's a very different thing if I grow tomatoes in my backyard and I'm a tomato farmer that I sell to Kroger. Those are two different operations, so how do we blend those together? It's the same thing with a commercial brewer and, and your home brewer. You're both at the same thing, but the ways you go about it are very different. Uh, the mosaic we're getting is coming from, sink Northwest, Oregon? Yes, I believe so, Oregon. So, short to answer your question. Yes, ma'am. So Mike's coming. Mike's coming. Thank you, Katie. So when you guys are coming up with your, uh, a beer that you guys want to make, how many times does it usually take to get the recipe quite right that you're ready to, that's what you're going to go with? So I'll, I'll, I'll paint in broad strokes, I'll let Sink jump into it, but most of the time we, we can hit it pretty good. So we don't, we don't do like a small five gallon batch or two gallon batch or anything. We do, we do a 10 barrel batch, which is our system right now. The new system will be 50. Uh, I'll equate it to this. If you're gonna make a new cake, for example, say you found a new recipe of something you're gonna make, a new spaghetti or, and this is me delving into your world, Jared, so don't, don't judge world. me too. Her world, <laughs> Chris's world, so don't judge me too hard. But- uh, I just serve the cake. Exactly, yeah. Uh, if you have an idea, if you have a framework of what you want that beer to be, we know what's going to go in it. So, Cetris Paribus, all things being held constant, we, 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 know what's going to, we know the flavors are going to come out of it, right? So we never really have a stinker. You know, it may not be exactly 100% what we want it to get to, but we know we're going we're to be in the wheelhouse right there where we need to be. So it may take a brew or two to hit the nail on the head, but it's usually going to be pretty decent there. Sink? Yeah. Uh, we really know our system very well, so it's easy to kind of predict you know, how much of a, of a grain or how much of a hop to kind of to put in to, to, you know, balance out on our 10-barrel system. Now, the 50-barrel system we're going into, <laughs> all bets are off. Hopefully, we can nail it and we'll be see. As, as, as lucky as we have been. But, uh, yeah, we brew 20 times a week on our current system, so we've pretty much got it down pat. We all right, everybody, that was the final question. We're going to get you out into Seaver, but just wanted to thank you all so much. Jared. <laughs> As, as I normally do, I'm not going to shut up just quite yet. Really, really, Jared, Crystal, thank you guys so much for thank the food. Thank you. Um, geniuses. If you're in the area, please visit them. Thank you very much. Um, and then it's our pleasure. Thank you guys so much for coming. You're getting ready to kick off the saver. Come by and see us, but go out and try the other myriad of great beers that's out there as well. Yep. And as we said, this can be found at craftbeer.com. Also an excellent place to learn more about food and beer pairings. And also, thanks to the kitchen staff. You guys did an awesome job taking care of us tonight. Thank you for listening to this recording from Savor 2016, brought to you by the Brewers Association and Craft Beer Radio. 
You can find the rest of the salons from Savor 2016, as well as all of the salons from previous years of Savor, at craftbeerradio.com savor or on craftbeer.com. Craft Beer Radio is a weekly beer podcast that you can listen to on iTunes or from our website at craftbeerradio.com.